Chris, I know you're traveling somewhere in New Jersey, coming back from a major event. Chris, can you hear me? Chris, are you out there? Alex Simmons, I can hear you. Oh. I can hear you, Alex Simmons, loud and clear. <laughs> yes, I, I do. Sp I speak from the diaphragm. You know, I project. That's right. <laughs> and may I say, for the record, happy birthday, Alex Simmons. Ah, uh, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, folks, I am uh, another year older and deeper in debt. No, that's not what I want to say. <laughs> but I am another year older, yes, and glad to be here. Thank you very much. Very glad to be here. Yes, so, considering the alternative, we're both very glad to be here. Yeah, you notice the alternative. People don't invite you over anymore. It's just very odd, you know, antisocial. Yeah. Um, but, Chris, you, the reason why I'm calling out to you, and we may hear some strange sounds in the background, is you're returning, you're literally driving back from an event. Where were you? I was at the Rutgers Writers Conference in uh, New Brunswick, New Jersey. Ah, Jersey. It's the third year annual conference. I've been to all three. They are fantastic. Anyone in the uh, Jersey, Philly area, anywhere in the tri-state area, um, or who don't mind traveling a little bit, um, you should go to just Google Rutgers Writers Conference and get some information and just make plans for um, next year. <laughs> next year, because it's wrapping up now. I left a little early for a uh, uh, family thing I have to do, but it was fantastic. As a matter of fact, um, I want to give a taste. Uh, one of the things that it does is it helps me flip from the teacher who writes to the writer who teaches because mm. I'm just finishing the school year and over the summer I become full-time, heavy-duty writer, right? So um, seeing other teachers that, um, uh, excuse me, other writers who are involved uh, professionally or successful professionally really allow me to start getting did they have a wide range of, of people, or was it one specific genre? Yeah, usually you get a poet, you get a, um, uh, uh, sometimes uh, non-fiction or uh, historical, you get um, uh, one or two very famous people today. This year it was Neil Gaiman as a spokesman, uh, and... Sandman, uh, and... Uh, and Amy it? Tan, yeah. yeah and what? there were a few others. Yeah, wow. um, But, uh, uh, and then Colum Pallon was there. And he is fantastic as well. So I have a little something to say about those people. Maybe not all of them this uh, episode. But um, I'm going to give a quick kiss to my wife because I just got home. Ah. Hi, I'm recording an episode, so I'm going to give you a quick kiss. Hello. See you later. I will see you later. You go with Tyler. Yes, ma'am. Um, so I wanted to talk about Neil Gaiman. He spoke Friday night. And um, all of us at any level of being creators tend to suffer from imposter syndrome. Imposter you know syndrome, yes. Right. So he tells this great story, and and Neil, if this was purely your um, story and no one was allowed to tell, I apologize. Don't cast a spell on me. <laughs> um, so he talks about being at a party, I think it was at Santa Fe, um, and it was Nobel Prize winners and Pulitzer Prize winners, and 
fake. He felt like an imposter. At that time, he had written Sandman, okay? Sandman, which changed the face of comics, right? Um, but he felt he shouldn't be there. He, he was not on the same level as these people. Mm. So he kind of just sat to the side. And uh, another Neil came up to him. And they had met at a few different things. This was um, in the early days of Google. And the second Neil starts to tease in Neil Gaiman. And he's, he's, you know, this is back when everyone would have fun by Googling their own name mm-hmm. to see what came up, right? Mm. <laughs> so uh, this guy, um, second Neil, says to Neil Gaiman, you're number one Neil. When I, when I Google Neil, you're the name that comes up. You're number one Neil. <laughs> so they start laughing and having fun with that. And uh, eventually, second Neil says, what the hell am I doing here? I don't belong here. All these people, all these people have done something. Because I was basically a glorified message boy, an errand boy. I'm not, I don't belong here among these people. Neil Gaiman says, yes, Neil. But you ran errands to the moon. He was talking. He was talking to Neil Armstrong, <laughs> and he says, "If Neil Armstrong also experiences imposter syndrome, then we can all relax about it. You know, we can all know that it's a part it's a of the experience." Thing. Yeah, it's a normal experience. And that was one of the many things I learned this weekend. And that's why I endorse the going to going to writing conferences. But in this case, on this week, Rutgers Writers Conference. So there'll be more. I want to digest some. I want to tell something about Amy Tan, something about Colin McCollum, but that's for another episode. What are we talking about today, sir? Well, it's, it's funny, wait, you know. Wait, wait, wait. What, what? Oh, my God. What? Please forgive me. What? Sorry, everybody. What? I just talked about what I've been doing. <laughs> what have you been doing on this birthday week of yours? Some say that Alex Simmons deserves a birthday month. <laughs> Well, actually, I've claimed maybe a city-wide celebration <laughs> like Mardi Gras. That's what they're saying. <laughs> You're all two of them. Uh, <laughs> um, wow, what did I do this week? Well, um, I had a good time this week. I uh, on Tuesday, you know, because Monday was a Memorial Day. On Tuesday, I taught, you know, uh, storytelling, comics, and so forth to 106 fourth graders. Because, I, yes, that's right. I was out there in New Jersey, as a matter of fact. I was in New Jersey. And this was my third week with them. Great things happen. Yeah. <laughs> yes, whether you're ready for them or not. That's um, right. Um, I was, this is my, my third week with them through the Christopher Barron Live Life Foundation. And I had a great time with them. The kids, kids, you know, folks, if you don't know this, kids do teach you things too. You know, if you're open to it, you will learn much about life. And one of the things they always remind me of is to see things with the shiny on them. In other words, it's not all about, yeah, I've been here forever, and I know all this, I've seen all that. Sometimes it's about, what, what's happening next? What's new? What can I discover? What are the possibilities? Oh, look at this. This is really cool. 
And so I got a lot of that energy from the kids. And that was on Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday evening, I flopped on the bed because you, know, you teach 106 kids, you're tired. Um, but uh, that was that was Tuesday. I, I could I can vouch for that. Thank you. I, I knew you would. I knew you would. You have that experience. Um, I also, this week was dedicated to three other things very quickly. Um, uh, my kids comic con, the, 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 uh, organization initiative was, um, I guess the best way to put it is we were, we were blessed with the opportunity to have a young comics creator competition or contest, uh, was, it came out of the blue, sort of very quick, in a short amount of time, but we reached out to the 400 some odd high schools in the New York city area to the seniors, and we offered them an opportunity to submit their best comic strip or comic book story that they wrote and drew. You know, so they did it all uh, to submit it into us by um, the uh, this weekend, and uh, the the winner, the winner, uh, first place winner would would get a certain amount of uh, dinero, and the other winners and 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 uh, participants would get other nifty things. And so I was very excited to see a lot of that work starting to come in, and I'm pretty excited to sit down with some of the other artists and have them go through. These are professional, you know, people who are going to judge the material to have them go through it. But I just want to say, you know, congratulations to everybody who participated, and please, 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 thank the heck out of your teachers, administrators, whoever it was, who came to you and said, "Here's this opportunity," because those are the people who got your back. Um, I'm going to just be point blank and say I have, unfortunately, in my 30 plus years of working with uh, kids in schools and things throughout the country, I have run across some folks who underestimate the ability of young people and have gotten in the way of them having at least an opportunity to try. So please celebrate the folks who, who, who encourage you and support you because they are blessings in and of themselves. So that was another thing this week. And then... Uh, very, very selfishly, I, I say it was a thrilling test of will, stamina, and creativity. But I got as I got it done. My um, my sequel, or my I guess no, you would call it my. Um, it's not a sequel. It's uh, you know I'm forgetting my forgetting my terminologies here. Spin off. Spin off. Thank you very much. See, this is why I know Chris because he's right there. He's right there with me. My spinoff series launched after years of stumbling, fumbling, and crying um, to Blackjack. My spinoff series, The Day Chronicles, which are the secret life of Mary Day, Aaron's sister, that launched in a soft launch. And a soft launch is basically, I didn't push it out to the major public. Um, I gave uh, certain people at an event an opportunity to get it first. And so that's uh, for reactions, but also to... to, to inspire me to keep me motivated to keep a promise to myself that it would go out this month because I also dedicated it to my daughter. So yeah. that that was accomplished this this uh this week as well. So that's been my week for the most part. That my birthday. <laughs> and you uh I look forward to purchasing a copy and uh celebrating that it's going to be out. Uh, is it out for order now, or when can we expect it? No, the, it should be, because um, we're, we're doing Last Dance with Amazon, so uh, another, another few days, and I will make the Amazon announcement that it's available that way. Right now, it's only available through uh, myself, and I really, uh, like I said, I did that as a soft launch. 
I really want people to be able to get it through Amazon. So just give it another few days, and I'll make the announcement that it's available through Amazon. That's beautiful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes. All right, so now it's time. Now it's time. Now it's time to tell why we're here today to talk about um, it's, Good question. It's, why yeah. are we here today? Why, funny you should ask. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the things that's come up, I mean, you mentioned it earlier when you were talking about your experiences about going from being the teacher who writes to being the writer who teaches, um, and myself being the, the writer and a number of other things who also then turns around and teaches, or one of the things that I'm always sort of aware of uh, for different reasons is how do we learn? How, you know, in particular, how, how, how do creatives learn? And, and do we really need to? And if we do, why? Uh, and how do young creatives learn as opposed to people getting started in that earlier, you know, and being older by this point? Or even how does someone uh, who's been in it for a long period of time, how do you learn anything new uh, and empowering or different? So um, that's the question that's out there today as you smash your way through your house. Because <laughs> we can hear. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, he's green now. Yes, I don't understand. Uh, so, should we provide answers? I think we should because nobody well, else is sitting here with us at the moment. But well, yeah. I, I will. I will say that this topic today is very timely for me because I just went through an exercise of exactly how I learn. You know, I. After teaching, I turn around and get taught. And, you know, remember and, and, and get over myself and listen to others who have done what I want to do or who are doing what I am doing. And uh, there is always um, payment for that. There's always a... Uh, a um, learning experience of some kind. I'll give you one or two from this weekend. Um, Neil Gaiman talks about answered the most often asked question of authors. Right? Mm -hmm. Where do you get your ideas? Mm -hmm. Right? So he answered in a poet a poem that he had written by reading a poem he had written uh, a long time ago, and um, I'm going to mess up the names. So you know it it must be a Sunday because that's uh, <laughs> what I tend to do. Um, but it's the woman who the wife I guess of was it Alibaba I forget um, or the wife of the king who had announced he was going to kill her in the morning. And in the thousand and one night, mm -hmm. and she tells him a story. And oh, Shahrazad. Yes, yes, thank you. Mm -hmm. And um, just when they're at a cliffhanger, she goes to sleep. And you know, I'll tell you the rest tomorrow. <laughs> and this is how she stays alive. Well, the poem is about her daily life. You know, it opens up with one of the tales and it's the end of the tale and she cliffhangers him and then goes to sleep and wakes up and feeds the kids and washes them 
expeditions and goes out for the food, shopping for the food, all the time thinking, what happens next? Because she doesn't know. Mm. But her life depends on it. But in her mind, she can never tell anybody else, but in her mind, she knows that she doesn't know. And she has to figure it out. She has to tell the damn story because her life depends on it. Yeah. And cool. when that time comes, she has figured it out. And then she tells the story, and then the next day goes, she's shopping and this and that, and thinking about the cliffhanger she has left, and she sees some carpet for sale, and says, hmm, that's interesting, and some other stuff in her life, hmm, that's interesting, and then that night, she tells about the magic carpet ride, and this and that. And what he's really saying is, our ideas, where do our ideas come from? Life. And why do they come to us? Because our life depends on it. And it's a beautiful way of explaining inspiration and and um, artistry. You know, it is it is how it works for us, and other things work for other people. But one of the many things, you know. And interestingly, you know, uh, I mean, I tie that to you know, how do we learn? Where do we? figure out how to write, you know, I tie that directly to the answer to that because it's how I learned listening to the others, you know. Uh, as we have discussed on this very episode, you know, I've been going through a bit of a dark time and questioning myself and all that sort of stuff. And then I listened to Amy Tan. Mm. My dark times were fun in the sun. Oh, compared to Amy Tan's life and times. And she told, retold, uh, you know, a, a shorter version of this, of her life history and her family history. And to answer, you know, how, how do you become a writer? What makes you a writer? And for her, her answer... And, you know, everybody has their own answer, but her answer was the pain in her life. Mm. And that's what, you know, I'm trying to make sense of it. I'm trying to figure out how things worked and all that. You know, I, I kind of figure that, I mean, obviously, you just said a little while ago that everybody has their own journey and they have their own truth. And all. I, you know, I think some of us come into the world... I really do believe some of us come into the world pre-programmed as storytellers. Whether we get a chance to experience that, become that professionally, or just within our day-to-day lives, that's a whole other journey and experience. But I know that my childhood, literally my childhood, was making up stories. Uh, sometimes getting me in trouble, but nevertheless, that was what I did. There was, I, I can remember moments of being inspired by things I saw on television or something that I heard or read or saw, but I was an only child, and so I can remember times of being alone at home, you know, my mom's in there somewhere, but I mean, I was not with other kids, 
and I had, you know, my, my action figures or I had a you know, paper and pencil crayons and whatever, and I'm making up stories. And some of them I can remember were connected to something I saw or something I heard or a favorite character. But it wasn't like, let me repeat that story. It was, it was more like, what if? What if it went this way, or what if that happened, or what if I was in that thing, I was there, you know? And I think some of us, you know, whatever life throws at us, you know, joy or sorrow, I think if we're predisposed to storytelling, it, it simply becomes an influence. Yeah. Amy Tan didn't understand where she, how she became a writer, or where it came from. And she eventually, there was... Um, a teacher when she was a little who said that, you know, she might be some kind of genius. Uh, the details don't matter. Uh, doctor or whatever. And I started working with her and interviewing her and all this sort of stuff. And it was part of this program this teacher was doing, this doctor was doing. And Tan searched her out much later in life to find out what that was like. Mm. You know, because her family was never, ever, ever approving. They wanted her to be a doctor. They wanted her to be, you know, what they had plans for. Uh, they wanted her to be a doctor and a concert pianist at the same time. Whoa. Brain surgeon, particularly. Yeah. Brain no pressure. Surgeon. No, no pressure at all. And then when she didn't want to be that, when she moved away from that, they were mad at her, particularly the mother. The father was out of picture at the time. And uh, they told her that she wasn't smart enough and all that sort of stuff. And then she went back to this woman and got some of the interviews. And there's the father. The two of them kept, the mother and father kept talking about the brother. You know, very male-dominant sexist society that they came from, you know. Mm. And um, there's this moment hidden within there where... Um, the father says, yeah, Amy uh, used to copy down. She would take the brother's textbook at four and copy down the words and then go to him. What does it say? You know, to learn what she was wow. four. And she was, you know, he was much older. She was taking the textbooks and doing that. And so when she didn't do that, she would write like her own letters and draw things and explain to me what they were. Her imagination was amazing. Mm -hmm. And at this was like six years ago. So, so Amy has been, you know, writing professionally and celebrated as a gifted author for 20, 30 years now. You know, you and talked that was the that was the first time she had heard him say anything about her imagination. So that, that's the thing, you know, you talk about pain that people, some people like Amy went through. And I think of Toni Morrison uh, and some of the others that we've heard about who, yeah, they took that pain and they expressed it through this this talent, this skill, this this thing that they had, this ability that they had. And, and I don't know if that's a part of the healing process or coping mechanism or whatever, but yeah, sometimes we are taught... Excuse me? Probably both and. Yeah. Sometimes we we learn how to express ourselves because of whatever is motivating the need to express ourselves. 
You know, we've got, yeah, we've got something we have to say, and we, we find a way to say it. And what our, what our world has been. Like you said, you had your action figures and crayons and paper and stuff like that. And, you know, I've said on the show before, every every spring, the world would try to kill me. Yes. And I, I would retreat. No, I would, you know, still be able to do is read, you know, and you couldn't help but live in that world. I remember my, my oldest brother taking me down to the Super Snipe Comic Emporium. Oh, it was a store, it was in the 70s, a store dedicated only to comics. I had never heard of anything existing, which is hilarious for that. Um, <laughs> but we went, and everything in that tiny little poorly lit store was comic books, you know? And I remember being so excited on my way that I would, and I would, had rarely been to Manhattan at that time. And I would... This place is well, maybe this is the Baxter Building, and maybe that's Doctor Strange's house. Mm. You know, and my father was my brother was like, "All right, let's not start this stuff." You know, <laughs> but it, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't contain it. You know, it was to me the reality that I had experienced in the pages of the books and the comic books. You know, Empire State Building to me, I don't know what everyone else thinks about it. You know, thinks it's there's two things that happened in the Empire State Building for me. Yeah. And I could never know I never understood why the second one didn't fix the first one. First one, of course, King Kong. Right. Second one is that's where Doc Savage was. <laughs> right? That's he he was up on the eighty sixth floor and he had the you know, all the stuff and I'm always thinking why didn't he step out and solve the King Kong problem? He was in South Which America made, at the time. Right? Yeah, I, and, you know, I, I would read the Bantam tri uh, uh, reprints of his adventures, and, uh, and part of it was always, maybe that was, and I would check if there was a date and try and put together, <laughs> well, he was out of town. That's just right? what I'm telling so, you, he was. He, to I this think, day, he's so pissed that he wasn't in town when the monkey anyway, came. <laughs> Let me say this. Let me just let me just throw this in because what you're touching on here for me is one of the ways that that not only you and I but others learn to do what we do is by doing and by seeing and by reading. Those are the three things that you've just touched on. Those are just three of the, the ways, but that's that's definitely a part of it. Repeat that for me. I said that. What you just touched on is one of the things that I have down here in my notes about how some of us, like you and I and others, learn to do what we do or learn more about what we do. One of it is by doing, simply doing it, just grabbing the pen and paper and going for it. Another is by what we see and experience in our daily lives. And the third is by reading what we've read and, and, and where that takes our imagination or takes our, 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 our minds in terms of gathering new information. You know, one of the most uh, upsetting things for me this year was a student smiled at me and said, Mr. Ryan, we don't read. Yeah. You know, as if I was the foolish end of the conversation. Because yeah. reading was like, you know, taking the trolley, you know, or or... 
you know, whatever That's, outdated it's like it's thing lame. you want to inch. I'm sorry? Like it's lame. Like any everybody who's yeah, cool yeah. knows you don't you don't do that. Well the impression that she gave me was that it was somehow outdated. Mm-hmm. And like like I was hunting dinosaurs <laughs> or wondering whether, you know, what the moon was made out of. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it's, these are questions that don't even need to be asked anymore. <laughs> you know, the are fun- you kidding me? Yeah, the funny thing is there's a lot of assumptions made by young and old, you know, and, and it continues to amaze me as well. For instance, people in our age range, what, what are you doing? <laughs> I, I, just, I destroyed a, a water bottle. Okay, just not near the microphone. <laughs> um, the, assumption, the assumptions that some people are talking about in terms of young people, they're saying that, you know, they, they only text, uh, they only do this, they don't think that, they're not worried about such and such. And unfortunately, these appear to be people who aren't spending too much time with a lot of young people. I, I am fortunate, like you are, that we're seeing young people. Uh, I'm seeing young people, when I say young people, anywhere from, from 10 to 21. I'm seeing them on a semi-regular basis, and, and many of the people I'm dealing with uh, especially my students, are from different countries, let alone different uh, cultural or racial or economical backgrounds. So I know that those thoughts are there, and I also know what popular culture is trying to say to them or is saying to people like me. But I do think that, yes, there is a fall-off of people who are reading as if, why bother? I don't have the patience, the time, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but then again, that's how we get manipulated into only living on sound bites, and then, oh dear God, who's sound bites? Well, my response to her and to the class, and well, unfortunately, every class I saw the rest of that day was that, well, you may think that reading is passe, but everybody who you're going to be working for and who to be running your world, they are reading. So if you want to be part of that, if you want to be the boss, if you want to have a voice in the world, you need to be reading all the time, everything. It doesn't at this point in, in, in a high school kid's life. The habit of reading is more important than what they're reading. Mm. You know, and um, it shocked them that I would argue with them that they were missing. (laughs) Apparently, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. Apparently, uh, Silvio, who is the managing editor and the cat of uh, Seamus Nunzio. Apparently he doesn't think I should be recording this episode. (laughs) He just reached up and pulled the headphones and microphone out of my head. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, I think he's probably reminding you that you also have um, uh, another uh, appointment today. And well, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to go, so let's move on to the next... Well, then you should tell uh, him that. I'm not the one who pulled this. <laughs> All right, well, I'm, I'm staying away from him. <laughs> so How I was going to say you? that we, we've touched on, again, reading things that we've seen, 
um, and 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 just doing is one of the ways that, that we learn. I I literally started writing, and making up stories as I said when I was a child. I did not know that I was going to be a writer. Period. Um, by the time I was getting out of high school, I was seeing myself as an actor, and I was actually pursuing that, and did you know for several years a lot of stage work, extra work in films, some voiceover work, and so forth. What moved me towards more writing were two things, and I think I've talked about this in other episodes, so I'll keep it short. One is that as an actor, as a, as a, a, a black or African American actor, there were limited roles being presented, especially on stage. Uh, you were either people were either trying to figure out how to fit you into something that didn't have in the script officially determined black characters. Or you were doing stereotypes. That was one end of the poll. The other end of the poll was angry black men. And so, for me, anyway. And so, um, part of what I started doing was writing material for me to audition where, hey, yeah, I'm still black, but guess what? I'm a black man who does this, or I'm an African-American who's into this kind of stuff. Or my, I'm you know, a black man who will be performing non-angry black man. Yeah, or stereotypical, you know, step and fetch it. So, for right, me, those right, things right. became important for me to put out material that reflected the world that I knew existed. And so I did it. I experimented. And that's another form of learning, of looking at what's out there and taking it in and then trying to reflect that through your creativity, whether, again, it's it's writing or dance or, or whatever other medium you might be working in. Um, but I think you also have to have, and I'm going to drop this one there for you to talk about, is I think... In learning, not only do you experiment, now, you know, again, you're, you're learning, you're gathering information, influences, inspirations, motivations from wherever. Now you're experimenting. I know he's eating cookies now. That must be what he's, yeah. I'm, I'm putting away, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, you know what? I, you know how sometimes you come home wired? Yeah. From, uh, a, I am wired. And I'm trying so hard to stay still. And then you comment, and I realize I've done 17 things since the last time you politely told me to stay still. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, we're, we're, not, we're, gonna, we're gonna put you through this a little bit longer, Chris, but not much longer. So anyway, experimentation, taking the material that's inside of you, the things that you wanna say, and putting it down, doing it, putting it on the paper, and, and playing with it, and working with it, and experimenting with it, to see what you get, to see how it comes out. I think that's one of the things that we learn from. We learn by doing and by experimenting. And uh, I'm going to add to that that um, again, this is from this is from this weekend. Uh, a matter of fact, just today, Colin McCollum, uh, author of "Let the Great World Spin," uh, above many others, or uh, among many others, he was talking about. Write yourself out of yourself, out of your writing. Mm. You know, mm. uh, you know. People. He was. He quoted Walt, Walt, Walt Whitman in in his great comment about being able to hold two contradictory ideas at the same time. Yes. You know, I am contradictory. Yes, but I, I, I can deal deal with that. So he's like, you know, they say write about what you know. I say add to that write about what you want to know write away from yourself to write about yourself you I know think, um, 
James Joyce. Oh, James Joyce was told, you know, you've been out of Ireland so long. Do you even, can you even write about it? And James Joyce said, I I write about it in everything I write. (laughs) Well, you know, Aaron Aaron Sorkin, who created West Wing and and so much other material, says a similar thing about, um, excuse me? uh, What is the... um, Mockingbird. He wrote the script for the the version of To Kill a Mockingbird that's on Broadway right now. Right, right, exactly. He's, it's written other places too. The the thing the yeah. thing is that he says, and this is in particular about West Wing, which anybody who doesn't know the series, you know, it followed you know the the White House and the presidents at that time and politicians and all that. So much like uh, some of the other shows that you watch, where you you watch political power in play. But he right. said that he had to be able to write. And I'm and I'm I'm not quoting him. I'm giving you a rough idea of what he was saying. He had to be able to write, let's say, a liberal point of view, with as much factual and or emotional content for the character as a, a a more you know sort of conservative or radical point of view. He had to be able to write those opposing characters with genuine authenticity, right? In order for the story to be told. Yes, he had Democrats. Liberals, Republicans, conservatives, right. and radicals of each of those persuasions right. on this uh, uh, show, and he had to do it so that you believed, you know. Exactly. Um, I'm going to take um, again from uh, Colin McCollum uh, in in Let the Great World Spin. He writes about a South Bronx prostitute. Mm-hmm. Works on, under the major Deegan, and they were, you know, he's taking question and answers, and they were talking about. They asked about, you know, how do you do something like that in this uh, era of accusations of cultural appropriation and everything? And he's from Ireland, you know, he's a short uh, Irish guy writing about a, a, a Puerto Rican. I think she's Puerto Rican. Um, or black, black a prostitute in the South Bronx. And um, he says, well, first I talked to the cops, but they were all young cops. I was writing about the 1970s. But one thing we learned quickly about the New York City Police Department is it's a family business, you know, their fathers. Mm. So I would go and ask, I would ask them to talk and meet with their fathers. And then I would talk then, and which ones were among, you know, covered the prostitutes, and I would talk to those guys and get first-hand information. And then they said, you know, there was this big warehouse that held all of the paperwork for the arrests, the arrest reports, all the reports from that era. So then he went through the channels and researched and found all the prostitutes in that area who got arrested, you know, and, and all their names and, and their, you know, everything. They, you know, a, a form like that, a report of like that will have height, weight, uh, eye color, hair uh, type, uh, skin tone, scars, tattoos, all that stuff. And he would see the patterns and all that stuff. Um, aliases, you know, giggles, honey. One, one uh, alias was Rosa Parks, which shocked the hell out of him. Oh, uh, that someone on the street would call herself Rosa Parks, you know. Um, but it makes me want to know why. 
Right. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And all of this is research that fed into one character in the story. Yeah. And then he was he was writing on it. It wasn't happening. It wasn't happening. What you know? He started with her history. She came from South Alabama, and on a, it didn't work. It didn't work. It didn't work. And then all of a sudden, he heard a voice in his head say, "Skinniest dog, skinniest goddamn dog I ever seen was on the side of a Greyhound bus." Mm. And there she was. There you go. So he wrote her. He had the voice and the musicality of the voice. That's and right. he wrote her. But once he wrote her, then he went to sex workers and police who worked that, you know, that area and asked, could you read this? Does it sound right? Did I do, did I um, uh, capture it with respect? Because then you're not culturally appropriating, you're doing your homework. Yes. You're working very hard to make these fictitious people real. And then he borrowed a copy of that book from the audience because they had sold out, and he read from her, and you could hear it. You could hear all that work. See, that's see, this that's is, how you write this. Goes, you this know. goes very much to, you know, again, you learn by, you know, the other elements that we mentioned, uh, but also that you have to make a commitment to growth and excellence. You know, lazy writing is just that, lazy writing. And, and it should make you uncomfortable. If you really want to tell the stories, if you really want to write, it should make you uncomfortable if you're half-stepping on it. It's, it. And honestly, if you don't want to do all that work, if that sounds too much, then maybe you shouldn't be a writer. Maybe that's not what you're calling it. You know, Neil Simon... His reputation, he's the great playwright of the 60s and 70s, uh, the odd couple among dozens of others, right? Yeah, yeah. Barefoot uh, in the park. His reputation yeah. was, this is the guy who couldn't wait to run to the typewriter to rewrite. Anyone said anything, he was like, I can fix that. I know how to fix that. And it was, it was part of the process. I try to teach my high school students who hate writing essays that they have to rewrite it. They think I'm absolutely insane. But to quote or paraphrase uh, a screenwriting uh, class I was in, their motto was the secret of writing is rewriting mm -hmm. and doing the work. And if you want to, if that's your passion, if that's why you live, if that poem from Neil Gaiman sounds familiar to you, because yes, you walk through the world, half in this world, half in the world you created, then you want it to be as real for everyone else as it is for you, and you have to do the work. And then taking and it's it not work; it's love, it's passion, it's right, life. Taking it back to instructional, or how do we learn? We learn by doing again. That, that, that it goes right back to that. I think I will. I will give a couple. Some people a pass, as if I'm the, the Lord of Writing. But I'll give you a pass. Lord there, of there, there are folks. There are folks. You know, because they're right. Just like anything else, writers. Like anything else, there are levels of writers. You know, it's not everybody is is wants the penthouse. You know, sometimes folks want the first floor. It's okay. That's not a demeaning thing. So if your writing, which you enjoy, which you love, which you're doing even professionally, is a more simple experience, it's a simpler process for you and simpler this and simpler that, fine. I'm not using the word simple as a derogatory term. You know, I think somebody who's going to write 
what they consider to be a major opus, with which is going to deal with people that they a lifestyle they never led, with people that they don't necessarily know. I think then yeah, you should be doing some serious homework. If you're writing, you know, and I love this book by the way. If you're writing Nate the Great, and you're doing you know fun little little moments, and there's humor and there's lightness to it, and and it's the characters are sort of very basic and simple, but they tell a truth. Fine, do that. I think that again, you you look at you look at the kind of material you want to create. You read that material. You become familiar with that experience. What kind of what kind of stories are being told, and 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 really learn from what you enjoy and what you're trying to emulate, and then figure out again what stories do I want to tell, and then I, and then you know do the homework. I would also say one more thing because I feel like I'm I'm rattling on here, but I would also say don't let lack of the education of writing or the the lack of knowledge of what's the exact structure of writing this or writing that. Don't let that stop you from learning how to tell a good story and then go back in once you understand where the structural problems might be or maybe terminologies are not correct. Go back in and fix those things. And that goes back to what you were saying about rewriting. So I always tell my students, don't feel it because you don't know interior, exterior. You don't know all the fine points of a point of view or what. Tell the story first and then let me help you Go back into it and start to now place those structural bars in there that you need uh, or yeah. some of the terminologies. I tell young writers, let it suck. Yes, you know, let it suck. There, That's your favorite. Get that first draft and then passionately go in and 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 just make it suck less. That's all. It's, a, it's just those little processes. I had a kid, uh, just a wonderful young lady. I, I happen to work with her. And uh, she showed up at the conference, you know, and um, we're talking, and she, she's looking over at uh, Colin McCollum. She's got these stunning blue eyes. And she's looking over, and she's saying, wow, how does he get there? Mm. And I look at her, and, you know, and I point to her notebook in front of her. So same way, if you really want to, you can get there. One page at a time. That's Don't right. worry about you know, the seven or eight books that he has or ten books that he has and all the accolades that he's had and measure yourself against that. It was about this. Did I do ten minutes today? Yeah. Start with ten. Start with the ten. Do the ten minutes. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it being perfect. You know, and then the next day, reread that and, and fix what you think needs to be fixed. Not that anything is wrong. You just that's part of the process. Mm-hmm. And then, and then ten minutes more. And then I was like, oh, I, I've done fifteen minutes. I've been twenty minutes. You know, and and you're looking forward to it, and you're thinking like like uh, Neil Gaiman was talking about the um, uh, thousand one nights uh, during the day. You're going shopping for the food, or this or that, or washing the clothes, and you're thinking about what you want to write next. You know, and and that's how you're a writer. When it's part of your life, and when it's it's wired, it's how you're wired. Mm. You know, it's not that you won the Booker Prize or this prize, or you know, it's not how many books were sold. It's that it's it's or it's adjacent to your heartbeat. It's adjacent to your lung functions. <laughs> you know, I breathe, my heart pumps, and I write. Yeah, you know, and that's that's what it is. You know, um, 
McCollum, I, I, do we have other questions to ask? Well, I, I, was, I, I think, it, you know, we're just like you were starting to do, I think we're starting to round it off here. So there's something I want to say, but you go first. All right. So I'll, I'm actually going to paraphrase. Uh, it's as close to a quote as I could for those writing. Um, <laughs> he was talking about today and today with um, accusations and judgments. How can you write this person? How can you write that person? Or political divide, all these different um, ways that we are closing ourselves off to each other in society. Uh, he ended with this thought. He said, we are capable of myths in the face of all other evidence. And I took a lot of heart from that, that today, when so many people want you to shut up and just listen to them, and so many people just want to say, we're right, you're wrong, hell with you. We have to, we have to go the other path. We have to go to love. We have to go to creativity. In the face of all that, we have to tend our passions and continue to write and continue to tell stories and lift up, maybe now more than ever. Mm. And I wanted to share that because I, I believe it fits this episode, and I think it's important to say. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> there are... Um, hey, you know, I agree with you, so um, I'll pat you on the back for that one, and we can hug later. Um, yeah, I, I did want to just sort of, again, in, in rounding off, because we, you know, Chris and I, we just, we just explode, because we are, we're passionate about what we do. We just explode with all these thoughts. Um, but bringing it a little bit more into a, a, a tighter focus or minimalizing the list, and just saying that, you know, first off, to want to create and tell stories is a beautiful thing, and I, I think you should do that whether it's just for you or your family, your loved ones, or you want to do it for a larger audience and, and the world at large. I think you should, you should do that. I think if you want to do that in a way that you feel can be a professional experience or a more beneficial experience for you, that you learn. Creating is a learning process. It is a process. You know, you're inspired and then you move forward. And everything else after that is process. So leave yourself open to experience the world. And that goes back to what Chris was just saying. You know, there's stories to be told. But the more you close off to the world, the more you shrink into the corner, the, the more the story is only about you and what little you know or what little you have experienced. The more you open up and explore the more material you have to feed from, from, the more resources you have. So learn by experience. Read. Please, read. You know, uh, you, can, you can read on your cell phone, your tablet, your laptop, or, whoa, what a concept, pick up a book, a magazine, yeah. a comic. You know, and, and nowadays, you know, the, the public library has Libby, uh, a couple other apps where yeah. you can borrow books for free. Yeah, I have. There's been... <laughs> I have one on my tablet. I have, you know, you can go to the library without ever leaving your house. Okay, so absolutely, there's no excuse, right? So that's so reading, instruction. There's nothing wrong with being taught something. You know, with with the students that I work with, especially in screenwriting, there are three, four other screenwriters in the same school, and I tell my students, each one of us will give you what we have to share. Take what is useful to you, and build on that. 
it is not that you should only learn from one person, or God forbid, you're never going to see me again, so what's the point? No. Take instruction and try. You're doing it again, by the way, Chris. Whatever it is you're doing. Uh, you know what? You're right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm saying to myself, damn, Stan, still not making any noise. Yes, I am. Yeah, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be finished in a moment here. Um, you know, take instruction. That's a useful thing. And even academic instructions, folks. Yeah, we're talking creativity and, and muses and all that stuff, but sorry, learning history, learning, you know, uh, math, learning to read, learning uh, about society and social issues, and learning in school, learning what it is to collaborate with other people. That's all instruction that is useful to filter through yourself as an artist. Uh, the last and, thing I'll... I'm sorry, go ahead. What were you going to say, Chris? And learn quickly. <laughs> there, there, well, because, you know, there's, there was a, um, a possibility uh, kind of floated that maybe the government won't let science uh, organizations, uh, climate change organizations, predict further than three or four um, years out. That's one of the things that's on the table now. Well... You know, the damage, the real damage is happening in 10 years. So look that up now and find out what's happening uh, before we're not allowed to find out what's happening anymore. Which, which then segues over to webinars. Uh, use the Internet for something other than, you know, the nonsense about what celebrities doing what to whom. Uh, conferences like Chris went to, you know, where you meet other people of like minds or even different minds, yeah. but they're pursuing the same thing. And you can go, the, there was a couple that were, they call themselves the book doctors. And they did a couple of workshops uh, uh, at the conference. And they have a website, a, a YouTube channel called the book doctors. You can get a lot of the information that I got just by watching that YouTube channel. So go, go see, there's so much information for your passion for free in this world. Go get it. And the other, the last thing I'll say about it again is how do you learn? Um, one of the joys of my life has been the fact that before I knew I was going to get involved in any of this, on any kind of a, either instructional, i.e. a teacher, or, or professional writer or public speaker manner, before I knew any of that was going to happen, I was reading different stuff. Now, yes, I was, I was engaged or curious about mysteries and, and um, adventure, but I also stumbled into my curiosity about science. I stumbled into my curiosity about travel in other countries, and those things that I read were from different authors, male and female, by the way. You know, gender should never be a barrier to us, right? So reading Zora Neale Hurston didn't stop me from reading Arthur Conan Doyle, didn't stop me from reading Toni Morrison or Ray Bradbury or Walter Mosley or Robert Parker. Different people influenced me, stimulated my mind, stimulated ideas, and subsequently gave me something to feed on when I went out to start creating my own. So I think, again, how do we learn? By being open to wanting to learn, by being open to learning so that we then have things to reflect on and share through our own creativity. That would be my answer.
Just keep shaving your head. That's how you're going to tell the damn story. Okay. And now we're going to let Chris go so that he can finish building that matchbox structure. <laughs> Crunchy cans. Uh, as, soon as, as soon as we finish, I'm going to be just running around the house. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I just have all that uh, energy from a weekend of sitting and learning and listening and, and, and a lot of caffeine and then the highway. Yeah, I'm ready to go, baby. <laughs> then go, go forth and be brilliant, my friend, and we will talk again. And, folks, everybody, please let us know what you thought by leaving your comments in the comments section or emailing us. We provide you know ways for you to do that. Uh, with all of our broadcasts. So, you know, thanks very much for joining us, and we'll see you all soon. Chris, as always, a, a joy and a pleasure. Thanks for sharing. Right back at you. Love you. Take care, brother. Bye-bye. Peace, brother.